This is pretty amazing. I, I, uh, I hope there's more than like 12 of us here in the second service. That's going to be pretty funny. We can tell everybody in the second service that there were a lot of people here in the first service, and it was awesome. Sorry that you're part of the lame service. No, there won't be a lame service. Even if there are 12, we'll um, enjoy it. I, we're going to enjoy the uh, who's, who's here this morning. I want to just, um, I know you've already been welcomed, but I want to just um, issue that welcome again and offer that welcome again that we really counted a treasure and a privilege to worship with you this morning. We, uh, we celebrate the other churches in our community. We don't feel like we're in competition with other churches in our community. Um, we, in fact, I'm about to pray for another church in our community. We do that every week. And um, the fact that you're here this morning might be, uh, um, maybe this is your only visit here. And that's something we, uh, we want to have the chance to tell you that we're cheering for you to find a church home. That's, that's what matters. To find a church home uh, that you're part of, that you're connected to, where you're known and knowing that's huge. I mean, that's, that's part and parcel to faith. I don't know how people have the notion of going the journey of faith alone. So uh, we're glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, i begin with prayer. We're going to pray for Authentic Life Fellowship and then pray about how we spend these next few minutes. <clears throat> Lord, we are thankful, uh, thankful for an empty tomb, thankful that uh, that's what makes this time together and this journey together worthwhile. <laughs> Lord, I'm thankful, too, that we are the most to be pitied if it's not true. And the flip side of that is that we are the most blessed people on the face of the earth because it is true. What a, what a great, great thing to hold on to. What a great thing to grip this morning as we um, begin something, a, a new journey in, in the life of our church. Lord, I, I'm gripping it right now. Um, thankful, thankful. And Lord, too, we want to pray for another church in our community. We want to pray for Authentic Life Fellowship. I want to pray for Jimmy Vaughn. Thankful for the ministry that Jimmy has to so many people in this community. That it's not just about Sunday morning for Jimmy. He is uh, so much a part of the life of the community, and I'm thankful that you use him in so many ways. And I pray for his worship, Lord. I pray that he is enjoying you, that he is fueled by worship as he goes about his work of ministry. Um, thankful for the chance to lift him up this morning, and we want to lift up Authentic Life Fellowship. Lord, we are thankful for the ministry that they have to this community. Uh, so many folks that are, are equipped and uh, sent and um, being discipled in the life of the church and authentic life, Lord. We just want to pray for the, just health, growth, faithfulness, um, all of the above. Thankful for the chance to lift them up this morning. Lord, I pray in these next few minutes that you would guard me from being too worried about what people think about how I did. I'm confessing that at high pressure, self-imposed high pressure on Easter morning. Uh, just, um, Joe, I want to just pray that you would just shoot that right now. And uh, just turn this time over to you for your glory and for your namesake. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's the only place we're going to be this morning except for the supper. Um, and I will just read from another passage for our supper. So that will be home base. And if you need to look in the, your table of contents in the beginning, don't be ashamed of that. Just go there. You need to see where we're going to be this morning. And let me, too, invite you that if you don't have a Bible, take the one that's in the bottom of the seat in front of you and make that your own. You can put your name in the front and keep it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
In the year 490 BC, a Greek courier named Pheidippides ran 150 miles in two days. It's a pretty amazing story. He ran, I mean, not in a car, not on a motorcycle. He ran 150 miles in two days from Athens to Sparta. And after taking a little cat nap and eating some food, he did it again. He ran from Sparta back to Athens. And then if that wasn't amazing, on top of that, a couple days later, he ran what later has become, what since has become, a very famous 25 miles um, to Athens. The circumstances surrounding those runs are important, and I'm going to wait until later in the morning to share them. Um, for now, though, I would ask you to just kind of remember Pheidippides, kind of keep him on the, on the back burner there. I don't want to see anybody on their phones trying to Google this guy. The beauty is you probably won't be able to spell his name, so good luck. But ideally, just kind of keep that for later at the end of the morning. The thing I want you to keep in mind is kind of keep Pheidippides on the back corner there. But here's the thing I want you to, to be mindful of as we journey into this passage this morning. is amazing things are revealed in seasons of difficulty. Amazing things are revealed in seasons of great difficulty. Today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, 2 Corinthians is one of Paul's most personal letters. In it, he is justifying his suffering to the church at Corinth. Apparently, somebody or some group of people in the Corinthian church were suggesting that Paul was suffering so much and went through so many difficulties and so many trials that he couldn't possibly be an apostle, that he couldn't possibly be a true messenger of the gospel because he suffered so much. And this guy really suffered. Here's a little short list. Five times he's beaten with a whip, just shy of 40 lashes. Okay, I read somewhere at some point in the past, and I can't remember where it was, that 40 lashes they believed would kill somebody. So in some ways it's saying five times he was beaten to the point of near death with lashes, with a whip. Three times he's beaten with a rod. I was uh, deployed in Singapore, uh, or deployed at one time where we stopped in Singapore and had a Marine get in trouble, and he was under, uh, potentially going to have to be whipped with a rod. And they suggested that there were people that died from that, being whipped with a rod in Singapore. So it would have been an international incident. It didn't happen, but it could have happened, and it's a pretty terrible thing to be beaten with a rod. Once he's stoned, okay, just leave that on the list alone. Stone being hit with a bunch of rocks, pummeled with rocks, would be something that would be noteworthy. Three times he's shipwrecked. Just a little tip for you. Don't ever get on a boat with Paul. (laughs) Ever. Under any circumstances. It'd be like if you needed to hitch a motorcycle ride from Evil Knievel. (laughs) It's going to be crazy. Just don't do it. Just find some other mode of transportation. Three times he's shipwrecked. He spent a night and a day floating in the ocean. Just floating. Okay? He had countless beatings. I'm not talking... Uh, just the beatings with the, the whips and the rods. I'm talking about other beatings, just pummelings, imprisonments, and was often near death. He was often without food. He was often cold. He was often naked and exposed. And on top of all this, it's interesting, he lists these things. And on top of all this, if it's at, even possible to top all these things off, he felt the daily pressure of the anxiety for all the churches. This guy suffered. He's like that, that guy in that one movie 
Rocky sticking his chin out over and over and over. Again, y'all were supposed to laugh at that. I, was just, I thought that was funny in that one movie, Rocky. I'm going to say it again until somebody laughs. <laughs> sticking his chin out over and over and over again. If you saw any of those Rocky movies, you basically saw all of the Rocky movies. Okay, he sticks his chin out there. He's beaten to the point where everybody's sort of wincing and looking away, saying, I can't watch this defeat anymore. It's terrible. It's gruesome. That's what watching Paul would have been like, gruesome. You almost have to look away. And then here's the crazy thing. He's preaching a message of joy and peace and blessedness and victory. That's where the Corinthian church is getting bogged down. You can almost understand how people might object to his message or the incongruity there. This guy's preaching a message of joy and peace, and yet he's being pummeled. It is a shocking paradox. Let's really appreciate the paradox, and let's for a moment just imagine what this must have seemed like to the Corinthian church. I fought... Um, about this, and I'm going to share more details about Paul. I'm not sure we'd have Paul preach on Easter morning, especially when we're going to two services. We'd be, you know, I'm not sure the visitors would come back. And I'll tell you more about him later when you understand why. And of course, I'm being facetious. Obviously, we'd love for Paul to preach, but man, this guy was beaten and bruised almost to the point where the Corinthians must have been embarrassed. His message of joy, blessedness, purpose, meaning, identity, adoption, life, and victory. And oh, and then he's going through shipwrecks and beatings, imprisonments, and hunger. So Paul deals with this paradox head on. He addresses this deal, this, this, this strange incongruity between his message and how he's living or what's happening to him. He owns his sufferings and even celebrates them. The list of sufferings that I just shared with you actually come from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Within the same letter, he addresses those sufferings head on. He doesn't downplay his suffering. He doesn't like the Monty Python say, ah, oh, it's just a flesh wound. It's not that bad. I've had worse. He doesn't do that. He addresses these things head on. And instead of dressing them down or minimizing them, he takes them to, and takes the Corinthians, to God's great purpose in those sufferings. He takes them to God's great purpose in the paradox of so great and wonderful a message being carried by someone so beaten and bruised. So let's look together at this paragraph full of purpose. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. 
What I'd like to do in these next few minutes is just sort of point out the furniture in a den. I want to just lightly unpack this passage. I want to point out a few pieces of furniture and just imagine yourself sort of standing in a den. We're going to sit later in the furniture that we sort of draw out of this passage. First, let's deal with this matter of treasure. Paul refers to this thing, treasure, but he doesn't really say what the treasure is in that passage. He says it right above it in verse 6. So look right above in verse 6, just for the sake of context, so we know what Paul's talking about. Chapter 4, verse 6, he says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give, here's the treasure, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's Paul's treasure. Man, that's Paul's treasure from his conversion to his death. That should be your treasure. In fact, it is your treasure whether you realize it or not. You're rich with the reality of a reconciled relationship between you and your creator through the person and work of Jesus Christ, through your union with him by faith. You are crazy rich. It's treasure that we carry inside. Paul identifies that treasure as the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, he says that this treasure, though, here's the next piece of furniture in the room. We've identified what treasure is, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And he says, we carry this treasure, though, in jars of clay. Okay, we carry this, clay, this treasure in jars of clay. He's speaking now of a metaphor. And the metaphor that he's using is just a cheap, common this is not ancient. I think it probably came from Hobby Lobby, but you can visualize it. it looks all old because it came from Hobby Lobby. You know how they do. But it's cheap and common and fragile, and it's made of clay. He uses that metaphor to refer to what you're wearing right now. I'm not talking about your Easter Sunday duds. I'm talking about underneath that, your skin, your body, your humanity. He places this treasure of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in jars of clay. He's referring back simply to what we were made from, what Adam was made from, and then what all of us will return to unless the Lord returns first. Dirt. Clay. As Christians, people, we are fragile. We are frail. We are expendable. We are common. We are ordinary vessels carrying around priceless treasure. The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, man. So Paul addresses the troubling paradox of such a wonderful message being carried by someone so beaten and bruised with yet another paradox. Treasure in jars of clay. I've been really working on some illustrations that would help you sort of visualize treasures in jars of clay. You've probably seen the movie where somebody hides a million dollars, the loot from a bank robbery or something like that. They hide it in their mattress. That's a little vision, a little visual of treasure in jars of clay, something cheap and common as a mattress. Or maybe taking some valuable diamond and placing it in something cheap like a cigar box. I thought maybe another example might be like a valuable watch or a ring that's hidden in one of those Barbasol can vaults, you know, like they sell in Sky Mall. Anybody ever buy anything on Sky Mall? Did anybody actually buy something from that thing? That's what you could buy. You could hide your valuables in there. I think the best illustration that I heard was Tiffany Fiesel brought it up in, in, in staff meeting this week where uh, young families that have little babies, that they go to the beach 
Where do you hide your valuables? You hide them in a diaper. <laughs> I never knew that's such a great idea. I mean, not a used diaper. <laughs> Let me clarify, but one that's unused, but it's rolled up to look like it's used. And, you know, you gotta, I would imagine there's some, some challenges there. You got to make sure people don't throw it away. You got to make sure you don't get them mixed up. And then go open something thinking there's something valuable in there when it's not very valuable. <laughs> Paul, this Rocky, we'll call him just for the, the morning, Paul, with this little jars of clay phrase, not only acknowledges but celebrates that we are fragile, we are prone to breakage, easily chipped and cracked, and there's treasure hidden inside. And all those difficulties that Paul faces formed little cracks and little nicks and little fractures. This guy had patina, not Hobby Lobby patina, like real patina because he'd lived it, man. He'd served it. He'd been beaten and bruised and shipwrecked. Add, let me add a couple of fractures to this guy. Let me add some humanity to this guy, something that's not found in this list that I shared with you from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul also had something that he called, referred to as a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what the thorn in the flesh was. We have some clues he wrote to the church in Galatia. And at the tail end of the letter, letter, he said, see how big my handwriting is? So we get some clue there that it had something to do with his vision, his eyesight. But within the letter, he also says, man, you really endured tending to me. You really endured the tough ministry of tending to me medically is the implication. Some believe, now this is going to be kind of ugly, it's going to be kind of gross. Some believe that Paul had what's called chronic bacterial conjunctivitis. Ugh, it just sounds nasty, just the name of it, conjunctivitis. Anything with an itis on the end is going to be gruesome. Well, it would result, if you had that, if that's what Paul had, it would result in his eyes being red all the time, and that oftentimes he'd have like mucus and stuff in his eyes. Man, other things that Paul says about himself and says about uh, his ministry imply that that may very well be what he had. This guy, this Rocky, was well acquainted with his clayness. He was well acquainted with his humanity. And this is pretty funny, too. If it wasn't enough to have all those things happen to him, if it wasn't enough to have some sort of uh, bodily condition that was ugly and difficult... He actually shares with the Corinthian church also in chapter 11 that he's not even a very good speaker. All right, let me just help you to, to connect that. All right, it'd be like saying a, you're, you're a mechanic, but you're not good at fixing things. This guy's in the speaking business. How do you think you plant churches? How do you think you share the gospel with people? You've got to open your pie hole. You've got to speak. And this guy says, ah, oh, and also I'm not a very good speaker. Golly, man, what a rough life. This guy is just a diaper, but he knew it. He totally knew it, and he even celebrated it. All right. But God had a purpose in this paradox, that such wonderful treasure would be placed in such common vessels. There's three purpose clauses that come from this passage. Remember, we're going to unpack the furniture. So let me point out a little bit more furniture, and then we're going to sit in it just for a moment. Okay, there's three purpose clauses. I love purpose clauses. They make sense of so much, and there are three beautiful ones in this passage. And I'll point them out to you. The first one's in verse 7, the next one's in verse 10, and the third is in verse 11. 
Let me show you these purpose clauses. Here's the first. He put priceless treasure, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, in common vessels, in order to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's the first one in verse 7. And it, it, there's just a two there. It's just two letters. But behind that is a Greek purpose clause. In order to show. He had purpose in putting something so valuable in something so common. And the first part of that purpose is a positive thing. To show that the power belongs to God. And the second part is a negative thing. To show that it doesn't belong to Paul. And it doesn't belong to you. Man, here's the second purpose clause in verse 10. And the third's in verse 11. They're very similar. Verse 10, we carry around in the body the death of Jesus Christ so that, there it is, the life of Jesus may also be manifest. And then in verse 11, we who live are always being given over to death via like conjunctivitis, via uh, being in a speaking profession but not being eloquent. Being maybe being a beating and shipwreck magnet, we are constantly given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that, there it is, the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. Now, all the things that I, all the little stupid examples that I pointed out earlier, okay, the, the mattress, the Barbasol vault, the diaper, all of those things are for the purpose of concealing valuable things. Okay, that's why those illustrations break down, all three of them. Because in God's case, in putting something valuable in the common and the expendable, he's doing it for the opposite purpose. To reveal what's inside. He's not hiding it. It's to reveal something glorious. I'm going to save more on that. We'll address that more in just a moment. But I want to unpack the rest of the luggage. Let's look and continue on at this passage and see a suffering theme. You may have noticed it in verses 8 and 9. Three things that are developed here. Affliction, being perplexed. Four things, being persecuted. And the fourth, being struck down. I'd like to address each of those things very briefly. Okay, The suffering of an apostle is the... Um, the straightaway meaning that he's dealing with right here. He's addressing, first of all, why they're saying, as an apostle, why are you suffering so much? Okay, so he's addressing the suffering of an apostle, but he invites the Corinthians in to the suffering. And in some ways, he alludes to the suffering that we will all experience in being followers of Christ. So let's break these things down. First of all, we are afflicted in every way. Afflicted. This Greek word actually means compressed. Okay, it means compressed and narrowed. In fact, I think it's just a beautiful, beautiful little satellite reference. It's the same word that's used in the very familiar passage, the gate is narrow that leads to life. The gate is compressed that leads to life. The gate is afflicted that leads to life, and few find it. Man, it tells us something about the nature of the walk and the nature of the gate and the nature of the way that it involves affliction. It's all part and parcel. It adds new meaning to the narrow way as the afflicted way. But God has a purpose in our affliction. 
The second thing that he brings out there is that we are perplexed. That word means at a loss. Man, something hits you. This is sort of a vision of what, a visual of what it, what it feels like. Something hits you that's just heavier than you can possibly sort out. Anybody ever had that hit them? Something that's just bigger than you can make sense of. And you can't fight. You can't fight it. You can't run from it. You're just sitting there stalled out with no real answer and no real solution. Man, I appreciate that Paul's so honest about moments like that because I experienced moments like that in the journey of faith. I experienced moments like that in ministry where I'm like, ah, this is just overwhelming. I've got no answer here. I'm officially at a loss. I'm officially perplexed. I'm officially stalled out. Christy and I have experienced those kind of moments in our marriage. I've been very honest about the nature of our marriage 23 years Man, we've struggled at times. God. And we've been perplexed. Both of us loving each other and loving Jesus, yet we're sitting here looking at our conflict going, we can't make sense of this. We're at a loss. We're truly perplexed. Thank you, Paul, for showing me that you got perplexed as well. And that's the nature of the walk. There are times where you are truly at a loss. We've also had those times where we've truly been at a loss in regard to our parenting. Times where our kids have done something or said something or are thinking something that we have no solution for. Or we find out that they have a medical condition we can't fix. Truly at a loss. Truly perplexed. Man, Paul's so honest. Stalled out and at a loss. Have any of you ever felt that? Man, you're in good company. You join Paul and you join all the other saints. You don't have to be an apostle to relate to being at a loss. But God has a purpose in our being at a loss at times. Man, he has a purpose. The third thing here that comes out is we are persecuted. Christians in the ancient Roman Empire faced severe persecution. If you know anything about the Christian faith over the last 2,000 years, you know that they've faced Severe persecution in the Roman Empire. Well, there are places now, even in contemporary Christianity, where people, brothers and sisters, face severe persecution. Now, I don't want to work real hard at trying to connect some version of persecution for us. Because if we experience any sort of persecution, it's really barely mentionable or unmentionable. It's so slight relative persecution that others have faced and are currently facing. I don't want to work real hard at this. But let me say this. There's no guarantee that our children won't. There's no guarantee that our children won't. Given what's happened just in the last 10 to 15 years in our context, there's no guarantee that our children won't face persecution. Maybe this sermon, this point, is for them more than it is for you. That we will face persecution, yet God has a purpose in persecution. Man, and that fourth thing, we are struck down. This Greek word struck down means to be laid low by a blow or a weapon. It also means to be bullied or abused. It also means to be uh, inflicted with some sort of sickness or disease. And maybe even slain. Some children and young people in this very room are daily experiencing bullying or abuse, maybe even in some cases for their faith. 
Man, there are folks in this very room who have experienced and endured abuse, senseless, unthinkable abuse, and you know what it means to be struck down. And some of you have been struck down with an illness that you didn't see coming and hasn't left you yet, like Paul's thorn in the flesh. We can surely identify with Paul when it comes to being struck down, but God has a purpose even in this. These aren't occasions where God's on holiday. These aren't occasions where God is snoozing, where God is caught off guard. He doesn't take a nap. God has a purpose in these difficulties that are faced by clay pots that carry treasure. Now, now we're ready to sit in the den. Okay, you sit, and I'm going to stand because I'm tired of sitting this morning. I want us to sit, like visualize, sitting in the den, sinking into the furniture that we sort of unpacked from this passage just for a moment. I want you to see that God has a purpose in the paradox of the priceless placed in the common and of glory placed in the beaten and the bruised. I want you to see that God has a purpose in a great message delivered by a beaten and bruised shipwreck magnet. And I want you to see that God has design and purpose in treasure being placed in common and fragile clay expendable vessels. And look at that little list we just developed there. First, dealing with affliction. When we face affliction and difficulty, when we're compressed in this, with this treasure inside, with his power inside, here's the beauty. We are not crushed. That's what this passage tells us. We are afflicted, we're compressed, but we are not crushed. And let me tell you why we're not crushed. Because Christ was crushed for you. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, He was crushed, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. That's why you're not crushed, because he was crushed in your place. Man, that's good medicine. That's good medicine. From the looks of Paul, man, he can't stand up to the beating or the stoning or the hunger or the shipwreck. This guy's frail. This guy's feeble. But then when he does, then when he gets up again and again and again, it displays the deep and the steady and the invincible power of God. Yes, Paul, please do that. Now, when Rocky got back up again and again and again in movie after movie after movie after movie, what did it display? It displayed Grit. Man, we love grit. It sells movies. It makes movies. But let me tell you what's different about Paul and what's different about you when you get up again and again and again. You're not displaying grit. You're displaying glory. You're displaying the glory and the power of God. It's altogether different. It may look a lot the same because you're getting up over and over and over again, sticking that chin back out there. And people might want to wince and look away, but you're trusting in that treasure that is placed inside, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul's appeal to the Corinthians is the beauty of God placing something so wonderful and something so fragile was to show the power is his and not our own, that God has a purpose in your fractures. God has a purpose in your being compressed. God has a purpose in you being at a loss. God has a purpose in you being afflicted for those fractures and those chips and those struggles. They display his 
power. When we are perplexed and at a loss and trying to make sense of something that's overwhelming and difficult, we're at a loss, but guess what? We're not despairing because Christ did not despair. And he was victorious. He left the tomb especially vacant on Sunday. When our brothers in hard places are persecuted, they are not forsaken because our Lord was not ultimately forsaken. For he lives and he reigns and he rules forevermore at the Father's right hand. He was not forsaken, so nor will you. When we are struck down by illness or abuse or bullying, we are not destroyed. Because while we carry in these mortal bodies, uh, what, while we carry the death of Christ in these mortal bodies, we also carry the life of Christ in these mortal bodies. We carry around little versions of Good Friday and these things that hit us, these things that fracture us, these things that chip us and break us. But we also carry around big version of Sunday morning. We carry around the life of Christ as well in our union with Christ by faith. Man, that is wonderful. Good news. It's here in these trials, in these trials that frail clay fractures and cracks and chips. And this common vessel reveals the treasure inside. In fact, it's only, here's what Paul develops here that you may not realize. It's only in the cracks and the fractures and the chips that Christ is revealed. Let that hit you for a moment. The things that you run from, the things that you want to hide, the things that you are so ashamed of, the things that you want to avoid, those hard things that put cracks and chips in you, those are the things that reveal where your trust is and reveal who your Lord is. Man, that changes these afflictions for me. Maybe we actually can celebrate them. Maybe we actually can be thankful in all things. If it's only in the cracks and the chips and the afflictions and the difficulties that what's inside is revealed, then, Lord, I don't ask for them. Please don't give them to me. But when they're here, let me be thankful for them. You're doing something with them. You have a purpose in these things. Man, according to Paul, there's no way to reveal the treasure except by the cracks and the fractures. And the difficulties. He has purpose in our afflictions so that what we treasure will shine through those cracks, revealing to those around us the deep and steady and invincible power of God. Man. So, Pheidippides, he was a courier by trade, and in two days, he ran 150 miles. Okay, that alone is a pretty amazing. After a cat nap and a quick snack, he turns around and runs from Sparta back to Athens, 150 miles. And then a couple days later, he ran a now famous 25 miles from the Battle of Marathon to Athens. You may have connected the dots already. If you know the story of behind the marathon, you know uh, Pheidippides' story. It was battle, and it was preparation for battle. It was the rigors of something really difficult and hard that brought out this staggering feat that made this guy now famous. The Battle of Marathon was looming, and the Greek army needed the help of the Spartans, so he had to run the 150 miles from Athens to Sparta, only then to find out, while he's eating his snack and taking his his catnap, that the Spartans weren't quite ready to fight because the moon wasn't right. (laughs) So then he has to run back to Athens 150 miles to let them know, ah, the Spartans aren't quite ready yet because the moon's not quite 
right. And then a couple days later, it was actually on the Battle of Marathon that he runs from the battlefield to Athens with a one-word announcement. Nikomen, we won. And then he drops stone cold dead. <laughs> He's not cold yet, but he drops dead. Man, it's an amazing story. And what? just think for a minute that it was the battle that displayed his and revealed his ability and his grit. We love grit. But man, here's the things that I want you to really enjoy. Just enjoy about your struggles and your challenges. In our case, when we keep running, when we're cracked and fractured, when we press on, when we stick our chin out in great but painful things, it's not grit that's revealed. It's the glory of a good and great God. It's his power that sustains us, and it's his power that's on display. And it's on display when we are most frail and most fractured. I'll leave you with these questions this morning. The first, what is your treasure? Is it Christ? Do you have this treasure? Maybe you're here this morning because someone invited you, or maybe you're searching for some treasure. Believe and know that every Christian in this room, that is our greatest treasure. Really, frankly, it's my only treasure. Christ crucified and risen. The glory of God seen and enjoyed and revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's all we got, but it's enough, and it's great and it's glorious. So that's my first question. Is Christ your treasure? Second question is, what do you lean into when you're compressed and chipped and fractured? Your grit? Your intellect? Your ability to figure stuff out? Your stick to itness? Now, what is it? What do you lean into? Man, I encourage you to lean with me, with Paul, into Christ, the finished work of Christ. That's the power of God on display. Man, I, I appreciate the story of Phidippides, but he's dead. He died without a hope. But man, we die with a hope and therefore we live because our Savior lives. Lean into Christ. Don't lean into your grit. And the third question is, do you try and hide your chips and your fractures? I don't want anybody to see this. Not realizing that's the very thing that God uses to reveal his glory. Man, I heard just this week about an SBC, Southern Baptist, uh, president of, I don't think it's the convention president, something, some entity within the Southern Baptist Church. A guy was, uh, the guy that leads the ministry um, was caught in adultery. He had an adulterous relationship, and he had stepped down and resigned from his position. And there's the thought as Christians go, ah, the world's going to see that and think we're, think we're, you know, we're sinful. What? <laughs> I hope so. I hope the world, an unbelieving world, will see a Christian community that says, dude, you can find forgiveness in Christ for that. You can find restoration in your marriage through Christ. That's the good news we hold on to, not the good news of perfect performance, clean noses and parted hair and shirt tails tucked in. The good news we hold on to is a gospel that's that able Man, we don't want to go running to an adulterous relationship or looking for an adulterous relationship to put God on display. But we can celebrate that God can use even that 
to show the world what forgiveness looks like, what grace looks like. Man, don't hide your cracks and your fractures and your chips because when you do, God's great purpose and God's great treasure is not displayed. Let me pray. God, we're thankful about this time that we spent together this morning. I'm thankful that, again, that we live and walk in this great news of an empty and vacant tomb. Lord, I'm glad that as we look and we consider these things that happen to us as clay vessels, fragile, frail clay vessels, that we can celebrate that your power is on display through the chips and the fractures. God, you are good to use these things. I'm thankful that you have purpose. We love you and we trust you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to distribute the elements in a moment, and I want to just call your attention to this thought before we distribute the elements, and then I'll read a passage once we have the elements distributed. Let me, let me just say this, too, before we actually pass these elements out. If you're not trusting in Christ as your Savior and Lord, if he's not your treasure, then just wait for Easter lunch at, at, at home. We're not being ugly about saying pass on this meal, but this meal is for folks who are holding Christ as your treasure. So if, you're, if, tr- if Christ is your treasure this morning, please take and eat as we distribute the elements. Okay, let me just say that. Let me say this too. Like Paul was dismissed for his suffering. I'm not sure that we would have Paul preach on Easter morning. Mucus, limping, bruises, beaten, red eyes. Can't even see his notes. We save him for one of those. We will save him for time, uh, daylight savings time change. <laughs> right? Oh, oh, that also happens to be the first Sunday at spring break. <laughs> right? It's like crickets, everybody. Okay, we'll have Paul preach this Sunday. Awesome. Man, just think about that. Like Paul was dismissed for his suffering. We need to be honest about it. We could too. Like Paul was dismissed for his suffering. The crowds and one of two thieves dismissed Christ while he suffered. Think about that for a moment. It's gruesome, right? You almost have to look away. It looks like defeat. Ah, I can't even see this thing. This defeat is so unsightly. They said, look at him if you can. He can't even save himself. Man, here's the great thing. God's glory and God's power is on display in that moment that looks so terrible and looks so gruesome because while they were mocking him, saying he can't even save himself, they said, yeah, that's right, because he was busy saving the world. Because <laughs> he was busy saving his people past, present, and future. He was doing the most powerful thing that's ever happened in the history of mankind in a moment that looked like the greatest defeat in history. Man, that's what we celebrate every single week. We literally, through taking the supper, we carry around the death of Christ because we also carry around the life of Christ. Powerful thing. Let's distribute the elements.